This is the Church Security Made Simple podcast, giving leaders practical solutions to help make your community safer. I'm your host, Simon Osmo, and I'm on a mission to keep his churches safe. Now, it's been over 10 years since the Lord called me into security ministry, and as a national church safety practitioner supporting churches across the country, I'll share my expertise to give you simple solutions to keep your church safe. So if you're ready to make your church security simple, come join me and let's dive into this week's episode as we learn how to plan, prepare and protect our ministries. In today's podcast episode, I'm talking with Frank Pomeroy, the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Southern Springs, Texas, who tragically lost 26 people in his congregation at the hands of an armed gunman, one of those being his 14-year-old daughter. Now, I had the privilege to hear Frank and his wife Cherie tell a story of hope when I heard them present at the Faith-Based Security Network Summit this past summer. But what I wanted to discuss with Frank was, how does a community recover from such an attack? Do you ever recover and how do you resume business as normal? Now the old church building was pulled down and rebuilt, something that is becoming very common following mass deadly force incidents. And Frank and I have been trying to get this conversation off the ground for at least three years. So I was really excited when we finally got some time to be together. I know you're going to get so much out of this episode. It's just action packed full of hope, of wisdom um, and encouragement for you in your church security journey. But before we dive into the episode, I want to tell you about the sponsor of this series at Bolus Insurance. Now, Bolus Insurance are based in Minnesota, but serve churches, nonprofits, and companies across the country, teaching them how to manage and mitigate risk. And I've known Mark Bolus for only for coming up to a decade, and they are my personal insurers of my business. So if you are looking to make sure you have the right coverage or wanting to look at insurance in a new way, reach out to Mark and his team and you'll find their link in the bio below. Now, without further ado, let's take a listen to my conversation with Pastor Frank Pomeroy. Well, Frank, I'm really honoured and privileged that you would take time out of your busy day to talk to me. And I know the tragic events coming up on the fourth anniversary are still top of everyone's mind at First Baptist, I'm sure. But what I hope to get from this conversation is some learning, is some experience and a sort of a pathway to move forward. So Frank Pomeroy, thank you for joining me. Pleasure to be here this morning. Thank you for having us. Well, and I want to start off with something positive, Frank, but I know you lost your daughter, Annabelle. She was 14 years old during the, the terrible incident that day. But I lost off, you know, what, what do you miss about Annabelle? Tell me about her. What used to sort of light you up as, as her father? Well, everything. Um, she, she was a... She liked to be right there beside me, a daddy's girl, if you will. And we just had everything. Uh, we just did a whole lot of things together. And I miss her in those things now. And I was talking to one of my other granddaughters yesterday about hunting and such as that. And Annabelle was going to be able to go that year. That was her first year to, where she had practiced with her rifle and had her, her sighting down. And we were going to go probably the very next month or the month of the shooting. Uh, it been her first time actually going out in the field with me. So that's right now it's season coming up. Our birthday just went past us. This is a time where I think about everything. Some some good memories and forever in your heart, you know, and it's always hard, I think, for any parent that's lost a child to sort of look look forward, but you're also looking back at the same time. So thank you for, for sharing that. And 
you know, I think your the incident at your church, Frank, it made national and international news. You know, me being a Brit here in the, the US, a lot of people in the UK reached out to me about it. You know, and we're talking about on the 5th of November 2017, you know, coming up to the fourth anniversary, you know, sadly, 26 people lost their lives at your church. 22 were seriously injured when an armed gunman uh, walked in and opened fire. And one of the things that I often find that I think there's five things that I talk about in church safety as to why church safety fails. And one of those is around denial. And I'm not here to, you know, I mean, we've known each other now for a couple of years. We've been trying to get this conversation off the ground. So, you know, I'm taking this from a very delicate position. But before the incident at your church, there was a bit of denial in you, Frank. Do you mind talking, do you mind telling us about where you were when the events took place and, and where that denial had come from? Well, I always make sure to share with everyone that complacency is probably your biggest enemy because whatever breeds complacency, if you have a, let's say you actually have a plan in place. If you don't actually practice that plan because you think, oh, we know what we're doing, that's when that plan falls apart. Or if you think because you have a plan, nobody will ever come in, that's when it falls apart. I know where we were at, we were complacent. We thought, well, we're a small church in South Texas. Many of us are armed. Nobody does anything in a church in South Texas. No one would do these things. And I was at a conference in Oklahoma training, and I actually had the gentleman the night before start sharing with me, an NRA instructor start sharing with me the statistical data of church shootings. And I literally had spoken that night to him and said that that wouldn't happen in our little church and, and shared with him which now I look back and can say somewhat arrogantly, the complacency that we had of, oh, we got a plan. Well, we didn't. Not, not a true practice, thought through plan. Now, my, my safety response team stay trained. They stay on tack. They, you know, we had our fall festival yesterday, and uh, it was a blessing to see our guys are spread out, still laughing and, and communicating with everyone, but yet knowing they were watching every little thing because now that complacency is gone. You have to get out any denial and complacency and, and just own the fact that in the 21st century, there are people out there that do not care that that is a holy ground. And we have to be able to recognize that the Bible tells us there's a spiritual battle going on around us in Ephesians 6, and the news will tell us that there's oftentimes a physical battle that comes and is raging as well, and we have to be prepared for both. And I like that you said that, Frank, because that is very true. You know, I, when when I look at the denial, I break it down into two categories, really. There's denial as in these bad things don't happen in life or it's just never going to happen to me. And there's also the denial of danger as in, well, we're in a church, you know, God will protect us. I mean, have you sort of post this incident, incident have you come across people that have those different mindsets? You know, well, this is, we're, we're in a church, right? We're, we're, we're safe. God, God is going to protect us. Exactly. And, I, and I've had conversations with folks who disagree that some of, not everyone on my safety response team is armed, but those who are properly trained and have the mindset for it, whether it be police officers or past military things, uh, men and women who are comfortable, they say, well, you should never let a firearm in your church. God will protect you. And I remind them, we have AEDs hanging in our church, and those are plastic inanimate objects, but they're there hopefully not to be used. But if someone's having a heart attack, we're going to, the trained personnel is going to take that down and utilize that inanimate object. Same thing with those firearms. They are inanimate objects that we hope to never use, but in the hands of someone who's properly trained, I hope to protect if we need to 
again, I hope we never have to utilize that. We we train in a lot of de-escalation and profiling to be able to see and, and hopefully address issues before it ever gets to that point. However, I want to be able to make sure that our congregants are, are safe as well. And, and I always make folks understand it's not about trying to look like a secure fortress. We're still God's house. It is a place that is welcoming and loving and open, but we'll have trained people there to make sure that, that there are eyes upon everything that's coming in and out so they can feel comfortable and worship their God at the same time. And that's so true, Frank, because, you know, as a church, I was talking to someone about this the other day and they were saying, well, you, will you do church safety? You know, well, why do you need this in a church? And there's still, and I believe that person was a non-believer, but there's still an element of people understanding we are a house of brokenness. You know, I could be sat next to someone who is physically abusive towards his wife. I could be sat next to someone who's struggling with mental illness. I could be sat next to someone who's formerly incarcerated. I could be sat next to someone who's got very sort of um, sinful behavior in addictions, you know? So there is this understanding that people come to church because we're broken. We're all broken in some way, but there's different elements of risk, isn't there, around it? And I think we're just the denial of danger, like I said, how I started, that's something that I see across the, the country is people don't want to accept that in a church we, we need these things. And obviously you're a very extreme case as to what the sort of what bestowed upon your church, but the mindset is still the same. We need to sort of plan, prepare and protect and be ready for these days. You know, we live in a day where the polarization in the country, whether it be political, theological, racial, whatever you want to throw out there, where people are, rather than reaching out and loving people and bringing them in to, together, there's a lot of folks getting ostracized. And they've learned if they really want to make their name get out there and be known, they, they need to go out and do something heinous and ugly. And so they look for those soft places to be able to do that. And unfortunately, that's oftentimes the church. The real, the real thing that we need to address, the human condition, if you will, we need to get back to reaching out and having communication and and talking to people and bringing them into the circle and, and trying to, I'm going off a story on you, but you know, trying no, to disciple okay. them and, and disciple them in how to be a part of society, how to be a part of this group. And we love you and we want you to be a part of this. I think if we would start bringing people in instead of pushing them away, we would stop a whole lot of this irreligious ideals of, of that about Holy ground. They would start respecting God and his people again, maybe. No, I agree. And, and and you preach away, Pastor. You preach away. That's, this is what we're, we're here for. Yeah. And so before we move on to, it was like three buckets I put in this conversation. One was denial, one was recovery, and one was sort of blame and accountability. Before we move on to the recovery piece, I would like to get your perspective or your mindset. And again, in security in a church, often we're challenged as to, well, what would the Lord say about this? And there's those that say, well, it's scripture and those that would say, you know, you're asking me to go against my faith or this isn't biblical. A deep question for you here, Frank, but post the incident at your church, have you ever reflected why you weren't there as to, you know, obviously now you're on a strong mission to protect God's churches and you'll speak across the world about the need to have safety and security. But uh, what were your reflections as to why you weren't there that day on those um, tragic events? I think the biggest lesson I have learned through all this, and I share this often with our church and anywhere else, is that when everything comes to the end, when everything's hit rubber meat in the road, it is God who's the choreographer, not man. We can have the best laid plans, and it's still going to be up to God. You take our incident, 
there were normally at least five of us within the congregation that were armed of some sort. And yet that day, none of the five were there. Me being one of them who never missed a Sunday. I rarely was gone. But because we were getting certified for a, a youth camp and this certification, the only time that it was going to be offered, my associate pastor, uh, really my uh, deacon, he was coming up to fill the pulpit for me while I went and got this certification. For the, all those boxes to have been checked off, only God could have done it. Now, I can give you all kinds of ideals as to why that may have happened. Me personally, I feel as I tell folks that that shooting does not define Sutherland Springs. We were holding to the spirit of God before he, he held us during and, and he's brought roses from the ashes since then. And I think he may have chosen us because he knew we would cling to him afterwards. Just to open the eyes of the rest of the churches in the world that there's a battle that's raging and Satan's not hiding anymore. And he's bringing, bringing the bad guys, if you will, to the churches. And we have to be prepared. One with the gospel, that's first and foremost, but he's the choreographer and we need to be prepared for if they're coming in and the gospel's not reaching them as well. Did I answer the initial question there? I'm sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent. No, you answered it and it made the hair stand on my hand on the back of my head. And it's true. And I often say, you know, we've got to be careful not to ask God to overwrite natural law. Uh, with that's supernatural right. powers. And I think that's often what we look for is that sometimes I say to people in a respectful way, Frank, you know, you're asking the wrong prayer here. You're asking God to perform a human prayer when it should be a supernatural spiritual prayer. And um, everything, you're right, everything does happen for a, a reason. And it's hard when we're living in, in it. But I reflect to my own life, some of the adversities for the tragedy I've gone through I believe, like you, is because the Lord knows that I'm equipped to then go and disciple others and, yeah. and help them through. And, and um, it's not for this podcast, but like you, I can give examples where, where my tragedy has helped others. So um, thank you for sharing that, Frank. So I want to move on about recovery then. So there's a big, you know, tragedy happens at our, uh, our churches. Um, the recovery is often overlooked or isn't thought about at the early stages. What, what are some of those things that you learned about having a mass casualty incident at your church? Well, one of the things we need to remember is that I think really we're still even learning some of everyone grieves differently. So each person is individual and some need to make sure to get to the counselors and, and we need to quit demonizing the idea of mental health, mental therapies and such, because that is needed. There are some who just need to get busy. There are some who need to pray, but through it all, the one thing that is common that I think we chose to do in Sutherland Springs, and I thank God for this, is we chose pretty quickly thereafter, day, the day, couple of days after, we were most of the survivors and, and families, we gathered together and we made a decision corporately. We can either choose to go the way of the world and be angry and hateful and divisive, or, and, and the world would have validated such a, a choice because that was a heinous thing that tr transpired in our church. or we can look beyond ourselves and realize that God is bigger and greater and that this community is hurting as, as much as us. Sure, they may not have lost a loved one, but they lost friends. They lost people they knew. The community small enough that pretty much everyone knows everyone in some aspect or another. And we chose to lock arms and recognize that the community was hurting just as we were and reach back into the community as the community is reaching into us. And, and to be honest with you, that that locking of arms and that interaction with the community and, and 
and reaching into the community made the whole community, not just the church, but the entire community stronger than it was previously. And just by letting, by latching onto the hem of his garment, if you will, and letting God do the speaking out into the community, healing, just as the woman with the, the blood issue, healing went into the community. And there were many out there that we got, we got tons of letters and notes and comments, but it was interesting how many came in that said something to the effect, I'm an atheist. However, the way you handled this, or I'm an atheist, but, th but this, you know, that was a, that was a great thing. And it allowed us to see how many people that may have never even recognized or seen the church, all of a sudden are interested in what we had to say, all because we chose to put, look to something bigger than ourselves and look to God and say, God, we're going to lift you up. And in the midst of this, we don't understand. I can't tell you that we understand still all, you know, if I was to do it, I would do it very differently. But yet, you know, but God, he's the one who knows. And now we look back at how much he's blessed us. You know, just last night we had our fall festival. I may be off two or three people. I can't remember. But our registration, 648 folks were at our church last night for fall festival. Wow. Now, obviously, those aren't church, all church members. They come because the community has come together and knows that, that God is there. Yeah, and, and that's incredible. So I believe sort of um, previous, your church used to be maybe around 100, 120 in the congregation. Was it around that size, Frank? At one time, to be quite honest, though, uh, due to the demographics, young people were moving out. You know, my own kids, uh, they laugh and joke and call it Hicksville out where we live because it's a farming community. So we were really down to probably around 75 people at that time uh, yeah. on a normal Sunday. And now the uh, Lord now, has blessed you up to 600, you know, say coming to some of your fall events. Yeah, now that was an event. No, we, we average around 250 on a Sunday now. But but yes, in that event, it was 640 something that were here last night. Wow. And sticking on the theme of recovery for a moment, you know, a lot of people see as in there's a finite date, right? There's an end to this where everything is going to be normal. But you're four years on. I mean, would you say that there's been a finite date when you've recovered or is your community still recovering from this, this tragedy? I don't think there will ever be a finite date. I think that even those that may clinically be classified as recovered will still have those grief ambushes at a later date. I know that this Friday will be the ringing of the bell and memorial for November 5th. And there are going to, you know, I was speaking with someone last night who said that she was having a little stress at work and then all of a sudden just started crying and ran to the bathroom. And, and she said, I never do that. And when she talked to her therapist, she said, because it's the time of the year, it, even subliminal subconsciously, this time of the year will always bring to some more than others, a sense of loss and a sense of grief. Now, what we pray is at the same time that grief is there, we'll remember the sense of healing and, and the grace and mercy of God that he's there with us as well. But it's always going to be a time in this community where people are going to um, stop and pray and realize that thing. I don't know if that'll ever go away, brother. Yeah. And I hear, you know, when you move past the denial and you get into the present day, it's really hard if you're a small church. I think statistically, Frank, most churches like 120 or less, aren't they, in, in the country? You know, a lot of these mega churches, or if you've got three, four, five hundred, you're in a really sort of blessed um, position. But I think. It's hard for them to try and contextualize what I'm going to say, but you've got to have some type of forethought um, um, site 
to think, if this were to happen, what does this look like as in past the statements to the press? Where are we going to house news crews? You know, what does this look like for counselling? Like I said, it's really hard when you talk about small churches to try and contextualise that. But the emergency preparedness aside, it is really key to help your recovery. I mean, is there anything that you can look back on and say, I wish we'd even just had this conversation now? Because the day after, you were really thrust into the world limelight, Frank, right? That's correct. I It was an incredible learning curve. But again, I go back to Christ is the choreographer, and he put some really great people around us with the there was a, a Baptist group that came in that just really had worked with not this kind of tragedies, usually with tornadoes and hurricanes, things of that nature, but they, they had the wherewithal of coming in and understanding loss and tragedy and helping us with that. The governor here in Texas immediately stepped up and uh, issued a $2 million grant for therapists uh, so that, that, so that people could, we're a very, I don't want to say poor community, but the money is not of an asset. I mean, not there's not a whole lot of money in our community. You're very so, humble, Frank. You're very humble. <laughs> trying trying to reach out and find therapy would have been incredibly difficult. But through that, people were able to search and find help and get the therapy needed. Now we do have a therapist on staff at the church just for we realize it's important to have somebody that people can go to now. When it comes to housing, I'm going to be honest with you, brother, I, I'm I am. I was not then, nor now, very uh, happy. Or there are good journalists out there, but most of them are just after a story and they'll get it any way possible. So I'm. I don't recommend housing more than you have to because I think they all will go and. You know, I'm being very cynical, brother. I'm just going to leave it alone. No, but, well, but, well, here's what I would say: is that there's learning in the message that you've just delivered because these are just things to reflect on before so when you're in that position and someone's ringing you at home I mean we heard you're out of state but you've got your frame of mind right as to what am I going to say it could be too early for me to talk to the press I might need to seek legal advice before I make any statements knowing ultimately there could be some type of lawsuit from it so I think what you're saying um, definitely adds value to people Frank just to slow down think about it and um, look at the long-term picture Absolutely. Luckily, again, I had lawyers that came in, and this is a true story. I told, I remember them sitting me down second day, you know, on a it was Tuesday. I come in and they here's all these lawyers and they want me to sign all these papers and do all this stuff. And I said, guys, we're just South Texas. We do everything by a handshake and in a good old boy way. We don't need all this. I am so thankful that they had me sign all those papers because. People came out of the woodwork from all over the world that were just, it was ri- ridiculous. Things that were just, where in the world are they even getting these kind of thought patterns? And then all the conspiracy theorists and, and all these, this ugly that came along with it. And, and reporters who, again, with no scruples, you know, my, my daughter was at our house one day, about three or four days after the event, and someone come over bringing food, and, and she thought, well, it must be a friend of mom and dad's. So she lets them in the house. They set the food down. They're talking like they've always been our friend. And then she pulls out a notebook. And that's when my daughter realized that there was a reporter just trying to uh, play a game to get get under, get in there and get a story of some sort. Now, like I said, there are good reporters, but I would always say, slow down, wait. You'll see the ones who care more about the people than the story. And that's where you really need to go, because those who only care about the story will make up the parts they don't know anyway. 
And you've touched on my third sort of topic I want to talk to you about, um, Frank, in a couple of your answers. And it's about sort of the, the blame, the accountability. And actually, just before we had this conversation, I just Googled sort of lawsuits. And I, I believe it was around 2018, 2019, there were some concessions that the sort of federal government, if you like, had made some um, failings in how the perpetrator had been allowed to purchase a firearm. So there's always blame and accountability which can be, and you mentioned this in one of your um, statements, which can be very divisive in the community. What advice or what have you found post this about people looking to blame someone, people looking to hold people accountable? How's your community dealt with, dealt with that, Frank? Well, I think every situation is going to be different. In our situation, there were a lot of rules that the armed services just went past and looked around and that allowed this gentleman to easily purchase firearms who should never have owned one. So my ideal was that needed to change. And Senator Cornyn immediately, I mean, within weeks, put through the bill that changed the NICS system so that wouldn't happen again. In other words, he put through a change to where any anyone within the United States Armed Services, if they are to are supposed to put someone in the system and they do not, they can be held re- accountable individually. That never was like that before because they were a part of the, the services. Now they will individually be held accountable, thereby giving them the impetus to do their job. So that's all I really cared about. Now that's fixed and that's changed. Now, there are those who want to, to blame the firearm and the firearm manufacturers and things of that nature. That's not my, that's not my belief. I believe the gentleman the van, whomever, however, that was holding the firearm is responsible completely and totally. And someone asked me, would I be able to forgive him as easily if he had not ended his life that day? I don't know. I'm not there. I would like to think I would have, but because he did, we were able to forgive and move on pretty quickly as far as that aspect of it. But some of these tragedies or the, the court cases are drug out for months or years now, that's going to be very difficult on people. And again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. You have to cling to that Holy Spirit prior to the event, during the event, and after the event to keep your sanity. Yeah, and that's really great insight, uh, Frank. Loved hearing you say that. I just want to end on one question. I'm sure you might get reached out to and asked this question all the time. It's something that comes to me quite a lot. It's a very common question in the security realm is, Simon, the pastor at my church isn't very supportive or the business administrator won't support my program. They're either in denial, they're overwhelmed, they don't see security as a priority. What is the advice that you give someone to try and soften their heart to be open to the conversation about, hey, we might need a safety team or are we doing enough around risk management? What, what advice would you give to that person who could be listening to this thinking, how do I soften the heart of my religious leader or administrator so we can improve our safety and security? Well, I, I would again point out complacency. You know, we as pastors oftentimes will be very careful about our sermons and, and who's hearing our sermons or what we're doing with our sermons. Well, our flock as shepherds, yes, we're just feed them spiritually, but we're supposed to also lead them to safe pastures. We're supposed to also provide an opportunity for them to be able to focus on their Savior, their Lord, and worship. It's our duty to protect them, just just as, as uh, Nehemiah said, we'll build the wall, but 
we're going to pray first, but we're going to have a sword in our hand too to protect us against all the outside uh, folks that want to come and tear us down and tear apart the wall. I, I always suggest to people whose pastors are that way, two things. One, yes, you need a safety response team, but he's a busy man. Either you or yourself get trained, get ready to say, pastor, I want to head this up. As long as you've got someone he respects heading it up and, and he doesn't have to micromanage it or something such as that, that's a big step. Then secondly, I would have them to reach out to someone like me or some one of these other pastors that have been through a church shooting so we can share with them, hey, these were things we didn't think about either, but they're real. And, and just start sharing the statistics with them, which unfortunately are going up you know, uh, exponentially every year, I believe that this, I pray it never happens at our church faster, but it is happening all around. And I want to head up this department and I don't want to just say that we're going to go out there and be security. I want to be a safety response team. Uh, you know, our, our guys are now trained that if there's a, a child choking on a hot dog, we have nurses and, and folks on radio that can get her over, get a nurse over to where they're at. Or if it's a, someone having a heart attack in the, in the parking lot or it's just, Vicious character just walking around ladies' Bible study. Last night, we had someone have a seizure out in the front yard, uh, uh, which is turns out they have those fairly often. But still, it was nice to see immediately three of our safety response team over there and on it uh, and taking care of that. It just minimalizes many things besides just an active shooter. That's just one aspect of what a safety response team can do for your church. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love how you answer that question, and it's very true. You've got to you've got to soften their hearts by explaining to them, you know, the the need to serve and minister those within our community. This is not about deadly force. This is about being the good shepherd and protecting the flock. Be, be that a husband and wife that are having a troubled time and they're arguing in your parking lot to a non-contact order and a father wanting to see his child when the law says he's not allowed to. To someone having a medical, there's so much more. But I think our mindset automatically drifts to where you just want to carry a gun. You know, we've got to, we've got to look wider and explain the risk management side. So Frank, I guess, lastly, I, I know we tried to get this off the ground for a couple of years. I've been, I've been hanging on in there uh, patiently. So it's an honor and a privilege to talk to you and the 26 people, 22 injured that sadly lost their lives at your church. You know, there is nothing I can really say other than, you know, express my sincere Thanks that the Lord put you in charge to shepherd the people there and grow your community. So it's great to hear how you are thriving amongst all this adversity. But for people listening to my show, what can they do to help you, Frank? How can people pray for you? You know, I think that I would still ask for folks to just to pray for the emotional healing of those who not just lost loved ones, but their lives who are changed forever. You know, many of the shots were torso which causes lots of uh, plumbing issues, if you will. And so we got folks who are now ADA and in wheelchairs and those who are married to these folks are dealing with life instances they never thought that they would have to. And so there's physical and emotional and, and just psychological uh, issues of this time of year. So if you could just pray for continued healing and continued well-being for all those that were involved. Thank you for listening to the Church Security Made Simple podcast. If you're looking for training on how to keep you and your church community safe, or if you're interested in working with me on my five-week group coaching program, please head over to worshipsecurity.org. 
And if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, don't forget to rate and review wherever you are listening. Now, I'll be back with you on the next episode. But until then, stay safe, have a blessed day. And remember, always plan, prepare and protect your ministry.